Amen. Well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 1. My name's Matt. I'm the pastor for teaching and equipping here, and it's good to be with you. Uh, we are officially kicking off the summer this weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so welcome. You've made it, right? You've made it to summer. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I am ready for rest. Um, I, you know, your rhythms might be a little bit different um, for, for us on staff at the church uh, here at Anthem. Uh, the, the school year usually looks like a sprint, and then the summertime is a time to slow down and rest. But I'm, I'm guessing for everyone, this summer is a, a summer where everyone's just, oh, we made it. We finally made it. Uh, it's been quite a, a year, and, and even more than a year, right? I I think that because last summer things were delayed, you know, we went, through a, we went through a pandemic. You're like, do you really need to remind us of all the things, right? Pandemic, the culture wars, the election, and then, you know, now it's like, you know, should I have invested in Bitcoin? Is inflation around the corner? Uh, we, it just seems like keeps, things keep going. But I think after last summer, it, it feels like we kind of weren't able to really, uh, really rest during the summer and really take that time. So it feels like this year is is really a year where going in the summer just need that rest because honestly, it's just like, man, time out. This has been exhausting, right? Uh, but one of, one of the things with heading into it, because I feel that, I know my family feels that heading into the summer, we're just praying that this will be a summer of rest. See how badly I need rest this summer, guys? Uh, and so just a summer of rest and, and that time with one another. And I know we've been talking about that as staff. And I, I think one of the reasons why this is why you put page numbers on, your, uh, on here. Let's see if we can find that there. Well, this is going to be quick. Um, but I, I think one of the questions I know my family, we've been wrestling with, and as I've been having conversations with friends going into this summer, some of you, is how do we really find rest? You know, how do we really recharge? I don't know if some of you, I, I've experienced this where it's like I go into a day of rest, right? And then I emerge somewhere in the evening or the next morning, like after like, you know, it's like you, it was like a Netflix binge or something. You don't quite remember. You're just covered in Dorito dust, right? And you kind of emerge and you're just like, why am I so tired still? Why do I feel so burnt out? Why do I still feel exhausted? And it's that, that question, how do we find rest? In fact, some of us will go on vacation this summer. And what do we often say when we get back, right? I, I need a vacation from the vacation, right? We, we come back. It's hard to find rest. I, I remember when uh, my family didn't really take vacations when we were kids. And, and so I didn't, so it gave me a new perspective when I was an adult, and I remember we went on our first vacation. It was with my wife, Lauren, and, and we went to Maui, Hawaii. How's that for like a first big vacation? And we, we go down the first day, and we just sit on the beach, and we sit there, and I, and I just, we sit in the chair. I was just sitting there, and it was about, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds. And I'm waiting. I look over at her, and I go, so um, what do we do? She said, this is what we do. And I looked out at the ocean, and I was like, the whole time? <laughs> like, and, then, and then they brought around just how inexperienced I was. They brought around the little tray with, like, the cucumbers. And I was like, great snacks, and I ate them. And my wife's like, no, those go in your eyes, honey, right? And uh, so I just I had no idea what it looked like to, to, to vacation. But I remember then looking around, which <laughs> about 10 minutes later, I realized the pineapple, that doesn't go in your eyes. Um, <laughs> That is the snack. Um, but I remember looking around, and, I, and I, I, I commented to her as we were down on the beach, and I was looking around. It was like, I feel like everyone is really restless about finding rest. 
Like everyone's really stressed about like getting this, this rejuvenation time, right? Like people are on the beach, like have fun, kids. Kids, have fun, family time, family time. Let's, let's have family time, right? Everyone's having fun, fun, right? right? And everyone's just stressed out about cramming it into this time and coming back recharged and coming back rested, coming, cramming in that family time, cramming in all that redemptive time. It seems like we're stressed about getting rest. And it makes me wonder, is the antidote to exhaustion really just what we normally think of as rest? It's really rest. I recently read this, I guess you could say, conversation or interaction. And I think it it gave me a a kind of a way forward in thinking about where this text today is going to take us and, and how to think about this summer, to set up this summer. So this was a young man said, to a wiser man, tell me about exhaustion. The wise man said, you know the antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest. The young man, puzzled, responded, the antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest. What is it then? And the wise man said, the antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. That made me pause for a minute. And it made me wonder, what does he mean by this wholeheartedness? And, and it convicted me because what I realized was rest is not merely ceasing from doing something. Rest is found in actually being something. See, the wisdom in that response is that no amount of physical rest can restore, rejuvenate, recharge a restless soul. See, often in the midst of even physical rest, like sitting down the whole Sunday, right, and just watching football and vegging out, where our souls are just running on a treadmill a mile a minute. It seems like there's something inside of us that can't rest. And, and here's the thing. I, the reason why this is key is because we want for you this summer to find that rejuvenating rest. To, to find that, that wholeness, we're going to say wholeness in Christ, our, our focus this summer as a church, we want this summer to be a summer where we focus on becoming whole in Christ. And we know that that's a lifelong uh, journey, right, to find wholeness in Christ. But that's where we want to spend this summer, to find this summer investing in what does it mean to be whole in Christ? Because next fall, what we want to do is we want to have a holy ambition, a holy ambition that pursues the city, pursues the campus, But that flows out of having this reality in Christ. And that's what Psalm 1 is going to help us with today. Psalm 1 in particular is going to help us see how we can be intentional in finding wholeness in Christ. And as we go throughout the summer, we're going to be in uh, the Psalms because the Psalms really capture kind of the entire spectrum of human emotions, human experiences. And the way we're going to do this is actually uh, the Psalms will be kind of out of order. What we're actually doing is lining it up so that um, we're, we've invited in. This is partially so that also uh, I can take a rest. Um, I won't be in the pulpit a ton this summer, but in the midst of it, we also wanted to have uh, other men, invite them in and give you a taste of our greater family here at Anthem, part of the SALT network that Chris was just talking about. We're having several pastors from the network come in and we've prompted them saying, we want you to preach from your favorite psalm. We want you to share why, and we want you then to share how God has changed your life through that psalm. And what we'll see, I, I just know throughout the summer, is how the psalms address the entire spectrum of human experiences, human desires. But today what we're going to start with, with Psalm 1, 
It's how do we become whole people in Christ? And it's going to set the stage for this summer. And so hopefully at the end, it will be extremely practical. Um, but the idea is that this summer, to avoid burnout or just coming back from this summer going, man, I need a summer to rest from the summer, right? How to find wholeness. So first, the source of wholeness. Second, the path, the false path to wholeness. And then third, the habit of wholeness. I'm going to read Psalm 1 and then I'm going to pray. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we desire this summer, Lord, to be more whole in Christ. Lord, what does that mean? What does that look like? Lord, I ask that, that you would give us insight into what that looks like. Lord, that you would show us what it means to find wholeness in Christ. To find that, that sense that something is not complete. There's something lacking, Lord, that it would be, we'd be made complete in Christ. And so, Lord, would you point our hearts there this morning? Would you show us the place of your word in that journey. Lord, would you show us and point us to yourself so that this will be a summer in which we're intentional in pursuing you and resting ultimately in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the source of wholeness. Everyone is, you might be like, you know, you hear that word wholeness. Everyone's talking about wholeness these days, right? You got whole foods diet. You got whole living. You got holistic care. Donut holes, right? Sorry, I was just seeing if you're listening. Um, it seems to capture something, right? right? Something that we, we need. It's something that we desire. It's something that we all sense as human beings. You go, yes, wholeness. That describes something that I want, something that I desire, that I need. And, and, and it's almost this universal reality. But in some ways, when we say we just want to be whole, it's almost as if we're just trying to say, like, I just, I don't know, just better, improve. There's something that's lacking. How do I find that thing, right, that mysterious thing? It seems to capture something we all sense we need, but it's hard to almost put our finger on it, that word wholeness. What does it mean? What does wholeness mean? Wholeness comes from the same word for the word for integrated, right, integrated, means to be complete, to be undivided, to be living with integrity. It means that there isn't kind of this inner kind of tension or sense that there's something off inside of us, but that we're living in light of and living in alignment with what we know is true. And there's this universal sense we all have that we are meant for that state of being we call whole. I mean, think about it. You don't go up to anyone and go, do you, do you want to be made whole? And they're like, nah. No. It's a universal desire. And why is that? You ever thought about that? Why is it that every human being, when you, we, we use this language like wholeness, we use like being complete, we use this language of, of 
growth, of health, of wholeness. Perhaps there's a reality we are meant for. Perhaps there is actually something called wholeness, something that is a reality that we're pining for, that we're designed for, that we're created for. And if we live in alignment with that reality, we'll sense that we're whole. And if not, we'll sense that we're broken, that we're divided. What's interesting is these are exactly the two paths that the psalmist lays out. The psalmist lays out two paths. He says there's a path that is this, this kind of blessedness, this, which, by the way, another way of translating the word blessed is, is the word whole or, or happy. Or it's kind of an ambiguous Hebrew word. It's difficult to, to translate. But it's a sense of whole, that there is a pathway to wholeness, but then there's also this other pathway. It's this different pathway. Psalm 1, verse 1, blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. See, he's saying there is a way of living that leads to wholeness, and there's a way of living that leads to brokenness. And how? How do you get to that? Well, he lays it out. It's very simple. By delighting delighting in God's word, knowing, cherishing, obeying it, marinating in God's word. Now, why? And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But why is it that following God's word leads to being whole or blessed? Right? You're going, it really is Bible reading really the thing that I need? Is it really knowing God's word, meditating on God's word, memorizing God's word? Is that really what I need? Why is it that God comes back to again and again? This is the only time in scripture. This is just one of the really clear places in scripture where we have this, where God lays out, says, be in my word, know my word, follow my word. And then you'll have this reality, which is blessedness or wholeness in your life. And if you don't, it won't go that way. Why is that? Because I think oftentimes we tend to think it's just kind of this arbitrary thing. Like my pastor said, read your Bible. My parents said, read your Bible. Someone along the way said, read your Bible. So I should know my Bible. That way I know some things. And if I know some things and somehow I'll just think rightly and then life will go well. And then I'll live in alignment with this whole thing called Christian morality. And it's a decent system. It seems to work for people. So pragmatically, why not do it? Right? Something, something in there, something around that, right? Is why we reason. Why would we be in God's word? What's the importance of God's word? And what's that have to do with wholeness? There's actually a more profound reason. There's an even more profound reason. Hebrews 11, 3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible here. See, there's a connection there between the word of God and what he says here, essentially all the things that are visible, all of created reality. There's a connection there. What's that connection? Here's the connection. What the Bible presents to us is that there is a God who is that there is a God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he's created the entire universe. And so what that means is that the world is hardwired with a reality that is made to point to his glory, to point to his goodness, to point to his truth and his beauty. In other words, the, the Bible, what it lays out as far as information is not merely just information, but it's making known to you what is the reality that you live in and that you are designed for. 
And so if God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and God from eternity past has been in the state of what you could call blessedness, of what you could call wholeness, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, of God is love, that God is peace, the Bible calls that as shalom. It's the word for peace, things as they are meant to be, the perfect state of who God is. And he created a world that's filled with his shalom. And he made you and me to be in this world with a unique capacity to relate to him in that state of shalom, to love him, to worship him, to delight in him, to know what is good, true, and beautiful, and to delight in that and live in accordance with that and share that with one another. See, in God's word, he has given us his word so we would know that reality. In other words, here's what I'm saying. The Christian worldview is not just one of many options that we present to people and you go, here's Christian morality, so live in light of that. No, the Christian worldview is a reality. In other words, it is inescapable. And everything in you as a human being, because you're created in the, design, uh, in the image of that God who is glorious and good and true and beautiful, everything in you is hardwired to live in alignment with reality as he's created it. So you would know that delight, you would know that goodness, you would know that truth, you would know that beauty. And God has created a world where he made us for that wholeness, for that shalom, for that completeness, for that blessedness. And the only way we can know it is by delighting in the law of the Lord. Now, when it says to meditate on the law of the Lord, it doesn't mean, this is why it means don't, you don't just... Like what I just described of the world, like you think of the world being this just cosmic art piece that God has created to, to mirror his glory. So when you look at it, it, it's something in you would well up that when my wife and I went on our 10 year anniversary and we sit on Lake Tahoe and we, we chose to go there, right? You don't, you don't like for romantic getaways, you don't choose to like, hey, honey, let's go to a wall or to a room with four bare walls and let's stare at the wall for the entire evening, right? Anyone ever do that, right? No one ever does that. Why don't you do that? You go to somewhere beautiful. You go to nature. You go to something because we are made to worship. And we sat out on Lake Tahoe as the sun went down on the mountains and the trees all around us. And when you're sitting with one another, it's just something that resonates. So you go, we're made for this. And this is beautiful. And this is good. And this is true. There's a delight there. And God says that same delight you should find in my word. You should focus on my word. Why? Because that's, it's the key that un, unpacks all of the glory all around you. Who God is and how he's made us to live, the world all around us, how to relate to him, how to be truly alive. And so he says, meditate on my law. Don't just kind of read my law and be like, well, it's time to, dad said I got to read the Bible. So I guess I'll read the Bible. And you just kind of flip through it. He says, meditate, delight. When um, my wife and I, we were, we actually dated two and a half years long distance, okay? And uh, Minnesota to California. So not like, you know, long distance, like, oh, he's on the other side of town and I miss him so much, right? Like far away, right? And so we, we were far enough away that we'd write these things called letters. If you're under age 30, there were these things that people used to write on paper and he would send them in the mail. 
and you would get them. And when they were from, like, you know, your, 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 your girlfriend, your fiancé, you would get these in the mail, and you would get them out. And here's what I would do. I would not just take this letter out and see, here's the thing. God's word is a letter to us. And he's saying, I'm writing a letter to you, and I want you to just meditate and, and cherish and enjoy this thing. I didn't just get that out and open it like it was like my electric bill, right? I wasn't just like, do-do-do-do-do, okay, well, all right, I'll have to respond to that sometime, right? And I go about my day. I'd get out that letter and I would, right, smell it, and I'd open it, and I'd be like, ooh, she licked this envelope, right? Sorry, is that awkward? <laughs> I'm trying, I didn't walk through this ahead of time. Sorry. It's too personal. I'm already in vacation mode, guys. Uh, but open it. And she would always like doodle things on there. They're like, what did she draw? And I'd open it and I'd read the letter and then I'd read it again. And then I'd read it again and I'd be like completely psychoanalyzing the thing. Like, does she really love me? And, I, and I'd read through it again and again. I'd marinate it on it and it'd be with me. Like I'd put it in my bag as I went through a class. Sometimes in classes I'd get it out and I'd just look at the letter. Sometimes I'd take it with me like I'm lying there in bed and I'd look at it again. It's like just nuzzled up next to me, right? As I'm going to sleep. I know it sounds weird, but we, I, if you're old enough to remember writing letters long distance and whatnot, you, you know that's true. You, you cherish that letter. You cherish the things that are said there. And, and what, what the psalmist is saying is God's word is a letter to you that lets you know everything you need to know about your relationship with him. And he is the God who is whole. He is the God who is glorious. And he's restored you to a relationship with him. You can know him. You can walk with him. You can find rest in him. And here's the thing. The problem is that if we read the law of God, which, by the way, the law of God is a word that's used for the law or it's word for, used just in general for Scripture as well. But here's the thing. When you do come up against the law of God, the reality of God, and that's why Scripture, instead of just saying the Word of God or Scripture or the Bible, when it says the law is because it's a reality that's hard-written into the laws of all of reality. You got the law of gravity, well, guess what? The things that the Bible says are just as much hardwired into creation, ethically, ontologically, epistemologically, whatever you want to say, metaphysically, into reality, just as much as gravity is. And one of those things that you'll come up against in Scripture as you meditate on God's law, though, is the fact that God is whole and we are not. And in fact, the, the category there is that God is holy and we are not. And what you come up against in Scripture is you realize very quickly that we are not as we should be. Now, we know that. We may just sense that, that we come to Scripture and we know that things aren't as they should be. But in Scripture, it reveals why. The best definition of sin I've ever heard uses that term shalom. It says sin is the vandalism of shalom. A really clear way of understanding sin is that it's a vandalism of God's shalom. Things aren't as they're supposed to be. We aren't as we're supposed to be. And God puts words, categories, to what has gone wrong in us. And here's the thing. Just as there is this thing called wholeness, that it actually is a thing that's there, which is a holy God, the, the, the background, the, the reality that's all around us, that he's created, this reality that we live in, that there is a God who is there who is holy, 
In the same way, there is something there that is wrong, that is broken. It says we're alienated from a holy God. And here's the key. We aren't whole because we're alienated from him. We are not whole because we're alienated from a holy God. But the beauty of God's word when we meditate on it is that we see that God's law, God's word, God is true to himself. That God promises throughout Scripture when we come up against sin, when we come up against fallenness, when we come up against brokenness, when we come up against that, we see again and again and again. God says, keep reading my word. Keep seeing where my promises go. And God makes promises throughout it that point us to an ultimate fulfillment of those promises. And what happens there is that God sends his very holy son into a broken world in order to take our sin upon himself. And to make us one with him. And if we will come to him by faith. Saying yes. That's, that's actually the fix. Yes when I see Jesus. And I hear this whole message. That God has come into the world. That he's taken on our sin. That he was broken on our behalf. So I might have relationship with God. I might be restored to him. When I look at Jesus and say, yes, that is exactly what's wrong with me. That's exactly what's wrong with the world. We need that, that only the holy God of the universe could undo this reality to reverse that curse. And we look to it by faith and we say, yes, that is what I need. That is me. And we cry out to God in Jesus Christ. He makes us one with him in Jesus And that is the pathway that the Bible presents to being made whole. To being made one with Christ Jesus. And in that, being reconciled to the holy God of the universe. He becomes our identity. And even then, it goes on to describe what it looks like to live in Christ. And obviously here, this is before... Psalm 1 is written well before Jesus entered the world, but it's interesting how this imagery immediately points to Jesus. Jesus uses this imagery. It goes on in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Jesus said, I am living water. Jesus said, I will give you, through my spirit dwelling in you, the fruit of the spirit will come and bear fruit in your life. And then the tree that does not wither. If you've ever read the gospels, you know that over and over and over again, Jesus is like, how's your heart? And they're like, I don't know, kind of okay. And he's like, see that tree over there? And they're like, it looks like it's dying. It's withering. He's like, so is your soul. And they're like, oh no. Right. And Jesus says, if you want to bear fruit, then become one with me and you will become the vine or I'm the vine. You are the branches become attached to me, become one with me and you will bear fruit and you will have life. Everything here, what it's saying is that we are meant to find our life in God, in Christ Jesus. And we will find it by being in God's word. The source of wholeness is God himself. And all of life needs to be aligned with who he is. In fact, even it's interesting in Paul's imagery of being this reality of being rooted like a tree in Jesus... In, in, in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him. Now, uh, let me just draw this out. This is really interesting. It says, so walk in him. 
And then he says, rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up like a tree. Paul's saying all throughout scripture, we've heard about a tree and trees that are planted by streams of water. Trees that are planted in a place where the roots can get nourishment. And, And the goal of your life is to put your roots deeper and deeper and deeper down into Jesus. And then, as, and as you put your roots into Jesus, then you are able to walk in him, live in him, established in him. And here's what's interesting about that. If I told you, okay, you're rooted, now go walk. Doesn't that seem like those imagery, that doesn't go together, right? Like, have you ever seen a tree just get up and walk? Something that's rooted, right? Like, you're like, well, in the Lord of the Rings, that's about it, right? It's the exception that proves the rule. Trees don't walk. Rooted things don't walk. Here's the whole point that Paul's making. The one who you're rooted in lives. You live your life rooted in the one who is living. Christ Jesus. And what Psalm 1 says is put your roots down into him. He is the source of life that you have been looking for. He is the one, if you put your roots into him, in whom you will find rest. Only through him will you find wholeness. Now, before how we look at that, how do we do that this summer? Let's look at the false path to wholeness. Because he says the other path is one that is cynical towards what God has revealed in his word. Blessed is the man who walks not, so he's kind of contrasting here, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And he, so what happens here is the psalmist, he contrasts the way of the, the blessed man, the whole man, and he contrasts that with the way of the wicked man. Now, what's interesting there is that wicked, another word for wicked there would be the word false. That there's a true way, that there's a way to wholeness, and then there's this wicked way. And the reason why it's called wicked is because it's false. And the reason why God calls something false wicked is because if it's hardwired into reality, it's not just some like moral suggestion from the God of the universe. Not like just a bunch of religious people at some point came up with this tradition. They said, well, based on evolutionary models and realities, this looks like it works the best and it's the best outcomes for all society. So it works. It's hardwired into reality. Morality is. The biblical approach to how to be a human being is hardwired into reality. And so what it says here is that if you live down this way, if you live in contrary to how God has designed the world and what God's calling you to in his world, you are going to keep coming up against reality. Let Let me just make this very clear. The Ten Commandments, when we think of the law, we think of the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, when it says, for instance, do not murder, it's not as if God was sitting around and he's like, man, these people are really messing this up, right? And he's like, well, Jesus is like, did you give him rules? And he's like, oh, I didn't give him rules. So he's like, where are some good ones? He's like, don't kill people. He's like, that's a good one, right? How about don't steal? Ooh, you're on fire, Holy Spirit, right? Like he, God didn't just come up with some arbitrary laws because he wanted to make some suggestions for how human beings could live. What he did was he revealed, he republished the reality that was already hardwired into all of creation, So that's why if you as a human being kill someone, you will break down psychologically and it will also break down culture around you. If you covet, if you steal, if you don't honor your parents, all these things are realities that will affect your life and you will break down again on an individual level and then also to the world around you. This is why God calls it wicked. 
because God wants for you to know what is good, true, and beautiful. And in his word, he has laid it out clearly of how to pursue him, to keep him above all else. And if you live in that way, if you live in the wicked way, the false way, what he says is that eventually that will just blow away like chaff. How it happens. What does that look like? I mean, that sounds pretty extreme, right? He lays it out, and you could say these are almost progressive. I think you have to be careful with the psalm poetry, how we do this. But first, this is how it happens. First, the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked. That means advice. That means the things that we put into our head. In other words, what he's saying is that you will walk in truth claims. It's not a question of if you will walk in somebody's truth claims. Hear this. When, when we talk about being in the word of God, I know oftentimes we think I'm not going to take, you know, like option A. And, and so because I'm not taking that option, instead, I'm just going to kind of live over here. And this is just kind of like, you know, I guess inactive, right? And so I'm just going through life and there, I'm, I don't want to like submit myself to someone else's form or in a kind of like worldview. So I'm just going to live my life. But here's the thing. That, that's not even true. That's not how reality works. The reality is you're going to live based upon somebody's truth. It's not a question of if you'll live in light of somebody's truth, somebody's word. It's a matter of whose word is it? And will it give you life? What it says is if you're not following in the counsel that God has laid out, then what will happen is you will follow in a counsel that will make claims that are false. And when you live in light of and think in light of and build your li life in light of things that are false, what will happen is that you'll end up of sinners. And here's the thing. If, if, if you, we tend to think, that a worldview is just something that's neutral or cl just claim something neutral. But here's the thing. Every single worldview, every system of counsel is going to say to you that you should live a certain way. In other words, you're going to have a list of shoulds. You're going to have a list of oughts. You're going to develop a list of things that you think, if I do these things, then I will be living well as a human being. It says is then if you walk, you stand in the way of sinners, what will happen is that you'll have to live up to that standard of truth. Which leads to a desperate hunger to be enough. To measure up to that list of shoulds. And then lastly, he says, then you'll end up sitting in the seat of scoffers. Now we assume scoffer means that you can live without any demands, right? Just kind of scoffing at God's law, like, ah, I don't do that. I, I live my own way. But that's again not what happens in reality. What happens is you just come up with your own list of shoulds. I should be successful. I should be beautiful. I should be noble. I should be brave. If I had these things, then I'd be whole. And what ends up happening is you live your entire life avoiding all of the list of shoulds so you can avoid being scoffed at. It's just perfectionism of a different kind, but perfectionism is the exact opposite of wholeness. If you try, you'll lead a life driven by performance and will never be able to rest. That constant sense, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not measuring up. We all have a list of shoulds. We often pretend that it's only God's law that is a list of shoulds, but we all develop them. 
And what it does is it's that list of shoulds that I think is what's often running when we're sitting on the beach, when we're watching the game, when we're trying to slow down, that's constantly driving us and telling us, you failure. You're not doing enough. You're not measuring up. And that's why we can never find rest. I read this recently, David Letterman. Some of you are probably young enough, you're like, who's David Letterman? Uh, famous, <laughs> uh, what would you call that? Not nightlife, the Tonight Show. And he said this, he wrestled with this reality of never measuring up, of always being racing after those shoulds. He said, every night you're trying to prove your self-worth. It's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be the absolute best, wittiest, smartest, most charming, best-smelling version of yourself. If I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished, it makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy, not blessed, not whole. How things go for me every night is how I feel about myself for the next 48 hour, or 24 hours. See, I think he captures something of why our souls are restless of why they can't find rest, even when we get physical rest. It's because often our souls are running on a treadmill trying to prove they're enough. Trying to prove if I could just do that thing that I tell myself I should be able to do, I have to be able to do, then I'll measure up and then I'll come to that place of wholeness. If I could just get over that next mountain, if I could just get that next promotion. It's exhausting. And here's the thing, if you think just calling a timeout this summer for a little bit of time, if that's the way that your soul is operating, then what will happen is you're only going to come back feeling like you just lost a week of moving forward in that. And you'll need a vacation from the vacation. Instead, we need to find a perfection in one who is perfect and the one who is perfectly whole. So let's look at that last, the habit of wholeness. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. The word Lord is in all caps. And I don't know if you know this about your English translations. It, it should be in all caps. But it's in all caps because the word there, the name there for God that it chooses to use is the word, is the name Yahweh. It's not just any title for God, but it's that God has personally revealed himself, that God has made himself known in his word, that God has made himself known. He's made known the entire reality of the universe that you're in, that he's made known the truths about you, and he's made known to you the truths about how you can be redeemed in Christ Jesus. And he's calling us to him. And this summer, he's calling us to know him through his word. He's calling us to a relationship, to know him, to walk with him, to not just find some truths out about him, but find out who we are in him. And so one of the ways this summer is I want you just to take a few, at some point, evaluate, are you actually in God's word? I'm going to call this a habit of holiness. We call it, some people call this a personal devotional time. Some people call this a quiet time, I guess, because they never get quiet. So that's the one time of their day it's quiet, all right? But do you have a time every day where you go into God's word and you hear personally from him who you are in Christ, who he is, who he's called you to be, and how he's made that possible? 
And so what I want to lay out are just five steps. Four, five, my hand. Uh, five steps of how to build that. First, I would say is consider the race. Consider the race. One of the things uh, in the New Testament we see again and again that we're called to run a race. And, and this is before, and I, this is something, if you're going right now, like, I've got my, my quiet time in the morning. I've got my, my personal devotional time. I've got this time. I'm good, Pastor. I'm good. Here's what I want you to consider doing. Is I want you to consider taking some time to consider the race. Why? Why do you take that time every day? When was the last time when you just stepped back and you connected with the why behind why you spend that time? Because I know how it is. You wake up every morning, right? And you, you have, you kind of, like, I'm autopilot. Like, I, used, I literally, when my wife and I first got married, she, I used to leave my shoes by the front door. And if the shoes weren't there, we learned this the hard way. If the shoes were not there, I left the house. And so for, there, were, there were several times in the middle of winter in Louisville, Kentucky, I literally walked out of the house in my slippers and got halfway through the day before I realized I was wearing slippers, okay? So some of us are on autopilot like that, right? Where we just go through the day, where we just wake up and we're like, coffee, word of God, dress, right? That's how you dress. Uh, like, I think you just put body paint on. Uh, but most of us just go through the motions. And what scripture calls us to is again and again to consider why are we spending time with the Lord? I would encourage you today, tomorrow, as you're going into the summer to ask, Lord, why re-captivate my heart with the why? With, with the race that's set before me, with what you've called me to, Lord, why do you call me every day to come before you in your word, to connect with you, to commune with you? When was the last time you did that? Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We can come to the scriptures in such a way that completely misses who God is. Jesus says, come to me, consider why. I've said to you, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Connect with that call. Connect with that why. The second step, commit to a pace. These last four will be a little bit quicker. So consider the race, then commit to a pace. Uh, some of you may be thinking, okay, I haven't really been reading the Bible. I haven't been connecting with God in his word. And you're going, where do I begin with this? So, and here's, let me just lay out very quickly. We're asking, what I'm saying is every day this summer, take time, 10, 15, 20 minutes. So you got more time, it's summertime, take as much time as you can take. Be in God's word. Some of you are going, that's new for me. I've never done that. Well, one of the things I tell you is commit to a pace. Pace yourself. Know what you're going to read. Don't just show up in the morning and just kind of flip open the Bible and go like, hmm, there. And you're like, oh, what's this book called Numbers. Well, this doesn't seem interesting, right? Like, don't just kind of start anywhere. What I would say is to commit to a pace, like, don't just commit to a pace of how much you're going to read every day and what you're going to be reading and what your plan is going to be that you're going to read. And so what I would, I would, and don't think, oh, in the summer, I'm just going to read through the entire Bible, right? You're going to burn out. So one of the things we're going to send out tomorrow in the email, so if you're not signed up, to get our emails and you want this, I would just, again, welcome space, all things Anthem, stop by there and you'll get this. We'll have this laid out in more of a booklet, these five steps, but also something we'll include in that is a chart of daily Psalms. And this is what I've been doing for years. 
where I just read through a couple of Psalms and it starts with each, each month, the day of the, the month, and it just walks you through which Psalms. I would encourage you to be in the Psalms this summer. If you've never established a time with the Lord, be in the Psalms throughout the summer and be reading those. So commit, uh, commit to a pace, then schedule a time. Here's the thing. Set a time that you're going to be with the Lord. It's almost as if God, if anyone important in your life was like, let's set an appointment together, right? Imagine the president called you, right? Whichever president you like. I know you can't even talk about presidents anymore without it <laughs> being divisive. Which president? Uh, whichever president you like. They call you and they're like, we're going to have a meeting, an appointment every day. And you're like, cool. See ya, right? Is that what you would do? No, you would say, what time? I'll make myself available. Here's the best time of day for me, right? You would make an appointment. You would make it set a time. And what God called you, the God of the universe is saying, I want to commune with you. And we just go, eh, I'll see you when I see you. Set a time. Set a time when you're going to get up or when you're going to bed to be in God's word. So commit to a pay or consider the race, commit to a pay, schedule a time, and then Fourthly, choose a place. The place where we meet with God matters. And here's what I'm saying. And this is going to be, and I'm going to let this come in with the fifth one, which is to create a space. Is that you need to cultivate a place where you meet with God. None of us would probably go on a date in a construction zone, right? None of us would just think that you're going to study for an exam, right? With a jackhammer going next to you, right? So try to find a place where you can get alone with God. Jesus himself in Mark 1 goes out to rural places to meet with his father. He goes out to a place where he can be alone. And he's the son of God and he's in perfect communion with the father. And yet he went to a place that didn't have any distractions around him. And so how much more do we need to find a place where we can go free of distractions? Find a place. And again, lastly, create a space. Jesus, when he went out to that rural place, also it says then right away the disciples were like, where's Jesus? Let's go find Jesus. And they couldn't find him. And it took forever to find him. Jesus perfect, or, or purposefully went somewhere where his disciples would not be able to interrupt him. And yet here's the thing. We every morning, we have these things, I don't have them in my pocket anymore, called phones. And these phones, all of our friends, when we get up and we're meeting with God, it's like they start like tapping us on the shoulder, pinging us and messaging us, right? And emailing us coworkers. It's as if we just bring our entire social network with us right into that time with God. And we wonder why we're not connecting with God. If email is the first thing you look at, whatever you look at first is going to be the thing that your soul absorbs. I drink every morning eight to 12 ounces of water before I drink coffee. Because I know that my body absorbs the very first thing that it takes. And your soul will absorb most the very first thing that it takes in. And so here's what I'm going to say. By creating a space, I mean do not look at your phone until you've looked at the word of God. You do that, that one simple thing. And I'm telling you, it will revolutionize your walk with God. Because if you get up and you open up your phone and immediately what you see is alert, email, important, things are on fire at the office, right? That's the first thing you see. Then you're not going to be like, well... I'm going to sit down and put that out of my mind and spend time with the Lord, right? It's going to take over. So I would encourage you, before you pick up your phone, pick up the word of God, put away the clutter. And I would even say set it up the night before. My wife, when we, um, especially for young, young parents, um, there are these, th- these people um, who don't let you read the word of God, and they're called children, all right? And Jesus loves the children. Children, Jesus loves you. Uh, 
but it makes it hard <laughs> to be in the word of God. And so my wife, every night, she lays out her Bible on the kitchen counter and she lays it out with her, like with her, her reading thing, her reading plan. And she has it right there and it's open to where she's going to begin. And when she comes out, the very first thing that she does is she opens it and then, and she, and the kids know when she sets it out, it's because this is mom's time in the word and the kids know if they're up early that that's what's going on. And over time, they've been trained and learned what that is. But one of the things she does is she sets it up the night before. So that in the midst of all the distractions that will come, we're ready. And she sees it. And that's the most important thing in the morning. So create a space. I, for years, actually bought a little analog alarm clock. Like, you know, the kind that used to like, until it fell off your table. That way I didn't have to use my phone. And so find something that, so I didn't immediately look at my phone and see all these notifications. Create a space. Create a space so that right away you're connecting with the God of the universe. Be intentional about where you find rest this summer. Be intentional about finding rest in God's word. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Get the rest of being reminded of who he is and who you are in Christ. Don't get to the end of this summer and think, I just need a vacation for my summer. Make this a summer in which you become more whole in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you've made known to us who you are. You've made known to us the truth of us. You made known to us the, the truth of how to live as human beings, how to flourish, how to be whole as human beings. And ultimately, where we've fallen short of that in our sin, Lord, you have provided a way to be made whole in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who is the word of God made flesh. Lord, you've made known to us life in him. You've made known to us the truths of him in your word. And so, Lord, make us a people of your word. Make us a people who delight and marinate and meditate on your word. Lord, so that we might be found whole in Christ, complete in him. So that by the end of this summer, Lord, we would have roots that go deep into Jesus and we're living more out of you and not from a place of exhaustion, but from a place of wholeness in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.